Welcome in, everybody, to Flyover Fallout. My name is Matt Baker, joined as always with Santiago Beltran, and we're here to recap St. Louis City's 2-2 draw against the LA Galaxy. It was the second time we played them this year, second time we drew, and they now make up two of our three draws in, on the season. It was a tale of two halves, so to speak. There's a lot to get into, but before we get going, Santi, how you doing? Doing great, Matt. Obviously, um, after that first half, things looked great, and I thought, uh, okay, the team is going to win a game playing away, uh, get rid of that streak of losing on away games. But unfortunately, the second half uh, brought a lot of surprises and things are not going see this way. And in the end, uh, the team was able to rescue a point. It did all start with the starting 11. We love to start it off on these fallout shows by looking at the starting 11. And unlike previous games where you have question marks, you have rotation, this seemed like it rallied the fan base. I, I saw nothing but excitement for this starting 11. And it was a memorable starting 11 that you kind of hope to see repeated. Roman Berkey and net. Anthony Markanik on the left back side, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Akil Watts rounding out the back line. We had a 4-4-2, kind of a flat 4-4-2. So in the midfield, it felt like AZ Jackson was a little bit on the left as the 10. Uh, Edu Leuven, Jabulu Blom, Jared Stroud rounding out the midfield, and Sam Adeneron, Joao Klaus up front. Notable for a few things. First of all, Klaus's first start since April 22nd against Colorado Rapids. Big deal. It was the first time ever also that Roman Berkey, Joachim Nilsson, Tim Parker, Jabulu Blom, Edu Leuven, and Klaus were all in the same starting 11. Six players who we've always talked about, especially with our internationals, uh, dating back to last year. This is the spine. This is the thing that Lutz has always talked about crafting as the centerpiece to our team, the thing that everything else will be created around. And we finally saw that. So when we talk about the first half especially, and how this team came out and what we saw from them early on, this is this is what excites me going forward. A healthy spine of our team, these six players that I would slot in, game in and game out, these are our starters no matter what happens. Did you feel the same way? What did you think when you saw this starting 11? Oh, I was, I was really happy. It only took 28 games for uh, <laughs> this lineup to uh, came to fruition. But yeah, it's just great uh, to see uh, that all of them, and, and we'll talk about Nilsson later, but mm -hmm. see a healthy team and uh, the spine able to to start after 28 games, uh, what Lutz had been looking forward for so long when, when he built um, the roster. And um, just seeing them all together, uh, seeing Klaus back, um, it was great. It was, uh, it was a great feeling from the start. And... And then uh, St. Louis is scoring so quickly, like it it just added to to a great feeling. But um, obviously things changed a little bit um, in the second half. Yeah, but the first half where at the end of the first half, everybody kind of seemed to universally regard it as one of our best, if not our best showing in a singular half as far as the, the specific chances created, because you could argue that we should have been up three nothing going into halftime. Um, but the way that our offense moved, we, we love to talk about the passing network. And I think this was, this gave us somewhat of what we expected to see. It was a very, it was much more symmetrical of an approach than we had been seeing previously with Kyle Hebert at left back. Uh, we did, we went completely away from three at the back for most of the time, looking to leverage Joachim Nilsson and Tim Parker, those high quality center backs doing exactly what we'd always hoped them to do, provide the anchor to our defense 
lead the passing attack in a lot of ways and have fullbacks spread wide. So you have Anthony Marcanic, you had Akeel Watts. Both of them show in our passing network that they played higher, more midfield level roles um, right alongside Jabulu Blom. And, and with both of them high, it allowed our midfielders to do some really interesting things. And so the lineup started out and in a defensive shape, you can really see the flat 4-4-2 as we started our press, started um, to respect the Galaxy's possession. But in offense, when we look to pass the ball, you're seeing things like Jared Stroud folding inside an awful lot to the point where he was he was almost at a midfield type role as opposed to a right mid. Um, Edu Leuven, AZL Jackson, they spent a ton of time on the left side. And so while City didn't have a ton of passes in general, uh, less than 300 successful passes, we had a lot of movement on our left side. And this this was prevalent when you look at the quantity of passes per player. Jabulu Blom led the entire team with 32 total passes. Roman Berkey was right next to him with 30 with his long deliveries. And then it goes Anthony Marcanic, Edu Leuven, AZ Jackson, Akil Watts, Klaus, Parker, Nilsson, Stroud. It's a little bit of a different approach because historically, at least with Kyle Hebert in the game on the left left back side, Tim Parker, Joachim Nilsson, that center back role often dictates where the ball goes. We're seeing in this game where everything seemed to flow more through Roman Berkey, through Jabulu Blom, over on the left side with Anthony Markanik and Edu Leuven. It was, it was an interesting approach to move the ball quickly up on those sides that really both led to our scoring opportunities. And just the amount of time that we were able to have that cohesion with AZ Jackson, Edu Leuven, Blom, and Markanik, that was, I felt, a really interesting approach. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see what the team was doing on, on the left side and to see that more symmetrical approach, as as you were saying. I, I really liked that lineup from the beginning. And uh, for a change, uh, we didn't have that um, diamond uh, formation that the team had been using the last few games and and i think it worked really well during the first half um i like seeing uh jerry stroud on the right um he -hmm. had been playing on the left side um the last few games Uh, earlier in the year he he switched back and forth i think even within games um i remember him switching with rasmus alm in one game but um to me he looked really good on on the right side better than um what he has shown in in the most most recent games but um but yeah great great job that first half and creating a scoring chances and and seeing Klaus uh, back on the scoring line uh, was great too defensively i really liked what i saw in the first half and, and we mentioned the 442 flat approach that we had i felt it stymied the galaxy's offensive approach there were often times and and we're going to touch on it in the flow of the game where i felt we had Uh, more players across midfield in a pressing manner than we did that were back defensively. We really relied upon Tim Parker and Joachim Nielsen to anchor the back line along with Jabulu Blom. And it it played out a lot of what we talked about last Thursday in that provided the ability for our, our fullbacks to move up higher on the field and kind of neutralize their wing and attack. And especially because they were missing some of their key fullbacks. Um, Caligari and Raheem Edwards, both out, both of their starting fullbacks. And so that gave them uh, a little bit of a deficient approach on the wings. They leveraged uh, Ricky Ricky Puge a whole lot to move the ball up the field. He was clearly their their centerpiece of their entire offense. He made his, his name known multiple times that we're going to get to. But I, I did think that it was overall a successful 
neutralization of the Galaxy's effective passing in the first half uh, that, that they had been so adept at here in recent games. Yeah, and they, they had a couple of chances in, in the first half, but overall, yeah, um, I believe only a couple of shots on goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and and City really did a great job neutralizing Galaxy's attack and um, transitions uh, worked out great. Uh, that's how uh, that second goal by Lacey um, Jackson happened. But uh, but yeah, as we were saying, let's let's review what happened and and then we can go into uh, that second half. Yeah, because it, it it was a tale of two halves in a lot of ways. Uh, the red card at sixty that we're going to get to did change everything. But setting the stage for this first half, it, it went from St. Louis having like a 0.6 xg in the first half to a 0.12 in the second. The Galaxy had 0.23 in the first half, up to 0.99 non-PK XG in the second half. So as we talk through what the game flow was like, keep these things in mind with the possession heavy for the Galaxy in the first half and almost unbearably heavy in the second half as they turned on the pressure. But really, St. Louis came out and did exactly what they wanted to do at the beginning of this game, just like they always say they intend to. They started out strong and they got on the sheet early, just four minutes into the game, and it started from Tim Parker all the way back in our own end. Parker plays the ball to Jabulu Blom in the midfield. Blom does a nice job of preventing a challenge as he turns and passes it over to Edu Leuven further on the left side. Leuven's able to progress the ball upfield past midfield into the attacking half, and he has a really hard pass. When Leuven passes this ball, if you get a chance to go back and look at this, do a freeze frame of this pass that Leuven has because there are two Galaxy players near him, and there's two Galaxy players about 30 yards ahead over near... Uh, near Jared Stroud and Sam Adeneron. And Leuven somehow manages to pass the ball through all four of these players in a through ball manner to find Jared Stroud deep behind their back line. And Stroud does a pretty good job of recovering this. He receives the ball pretty hard there behind their line on the left side, recovers it on the left side of the box, quickly turns over. And this is a hallmark of City in their pass receptions is quickly turning and looking for the next man up. He finds Sam Adeneron still behind the back line who's cut underneath of him near goal. And as soon as he finds Sam, it was a quick recovery on his part and he's able to put it past Jonathan Bond, 1-0 City, just four minutes in. Yeah, I I really thought um, when I when I was uh, on the broadcast watching it live, I, I was like, oh, um, too bad that that ball uh, went too hard and Stroud is not going to be able to get it. I, I mm-hmm. thought it was going to go long or maybe uh, when he touched it, um, he was going to go in a different direction. But I'm glad he was able to to get a hold of it and, and find Sam. Uh, great, great job staying with the play, even though um, that was a hard ball from Lubin. But, uh, but yeah, just uh, shows uh, what this team can do uh, with quick uh, with quick touches. Uh, Stroud finding uh, a Deniran and great finish by Deniran too. And then St. Louis does again after this goal exactly what they always talk about intending to. They keep the high press on. They, this is where they maintain that very high line. After the goal, 10, 20 minutes later, they're still pressing high, trying to keep the Galaxy in their own zone with a lot of their short passes. And the passes we expected to see the Galaxy make, they continued to make very small, very short passes. At times, I was counting seven of our players in their attacking end. We were keeping all of the pressure on them and moving guys like AZ Jackson from his 10 role in the midfield, 
higher than Sam Adeneron and Jacques Klaus at times. AZ was given a lot of freedom to push himself forward. And then Edu Leuven kind of was left to man that entire left side when AZ pushed forward. It was it was fascinating to see the way that the players moved and pressed and the freedom and flexibility that some of our other attackers got. And you have to wonder when you're seeing those things, how much of that was because of the intentionality of Klaus playing more of an underneath role, which he did allude to post-game. And I think it allowed uh, an effective partnership between Klaus and Adeneron. It was good to see Klaus able to adapt to that slightly different position on the field, a, a Nico Joachini type position, but also that made it make a lot more sense with Klaus and Sam, and then AZ played perfectly off of them. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see Klaus in that new role, and that's going to give the team a lot of options, uh, just thinking about future games and even the playoffs, uh, having Sam, Nico, and, and Klaus, and knowing that they can play in, in different positions um, is going to... It's going to be great for the team thinking about um, the last stretch of the season. Santi, I'm curious about your your thoughts on the 18-minute mark. Joachim Nilsson played the ball to Leuven, played the ball to Markanik on the left, and Markanik found an, a running AZ Jackson just outside on the left. Jackson did a great job of collecting the ball, running in, getting in behind the defense. There was contact from Edwin Cerillo, whether you call it a slight touch, a pull on the shoulder. AZ didn't go down. And I thought I thought it was a, a great sign of AZ's persistence and fortitude to stay up, try to make a play on the ball, and let the ref call whatever they were going to call. He attempts to recover it. It ends up being called a goal kick out of bounds. Nothing really came of it. But is this a case where you feel AZ should have gone down on contact? Uh, it's, it's hard to tell because he could have gone down and nothing happened and they review it and they don't call anything. Um, it was a slight contact, so hard to tell what the video review will have concluded. Maybe if, if he goes down and, and they, they say, yeah, it was a foul, then they don't have enough evidence to say it wasn't. But, but at that point, I, I think it's a gamble and he did a good job staying with the play. The one thing, even though Klaus shot um, didn't go in, they ended up calling it a goal kick. Um, mm-hmm. Just from the angles I saw, I, I couldn't see that ball going right. out. Right. I, I agree. And it did it wasn't as obvious to me that it should have been called out immediately. I do wonder I wonder a few different things. If AZ had gone down, would they have called it and then, like you said, not had enough to overturn it? That would have been an interesting development and a completely different spotlight on the refs than what we're dealing with right now. And then again, if uh, if the ball had just kept in play and nobody said anything, whistles didn't blow, Klaus gets that shot off, what happens? There's a lot of uh, what-ifs to that play. For sure, for sure. But it, it is, at this point, it is what it is. It's, they yeah. called it a, a goal kick. And um, yeah, you could say, oh, maybe uh, that could have been City's second goal. Uh, but at the end, to me, it didn't have an impact. City scored a second goal later on, and um, that, that's what it is. And, and then the second half happened. But, uh, but yeah, it was just an interesting play. Uh, it will be interesting to see. Maybe it is reviewed in one of those shows that review uh, some of those controversial plays, although this game had quite a few more of those, so this one probably won't be reviewed. Yeah, but before all those controversial plays, we did have the second goal you alluded to, and it came at the 28-minute mark. The thing that I I like to start off with on this second goal is the fact that it contains basically the 
other half of our attack. So in the first half, uh, the first goal, you had uh, Markanic over to Leuven, um, up through to Jared Stroud, and then over to Sam. This goal, it was basically AZ Jackson and and Joao Klaus. You had some you had some action before that where Markanic helped out a little bit, but it really was AZ to Klaus. And so you finished off the other half of our attack. It was exciting to see um, our entire attack play a part in both of these goals. But this one, to set the stage, 28-minute mark, it all started with the Galaxy having possession in their final third. This was a situation of Galaxy possession, St. Louis trying to counter. So Edu Leuven steps into Julian Aude for a tackle in midfield. The ball is sent wide to Tyler Boyd as Aude's kind of trying to call for a foul. Nothing's called. Boyd gets the ball over on the left, crosses it long to their right back, Mauricio Cuevas, who is in the game for Calgary, one of those substitute fullbacks. Markanic and AZ, the camera kind of cuts away to look over at Aude on the ground. But after Markanic and AZ converge, um, AZ ends up with the ball. And Cuevas is chasing after him, attempts a challenge. Uh, AZ drops him before getting over to the midline. So he's free running downfield. AZ has plenty of space, space for days. The Galaxy have two back in transition with two def- two kind of trailing AZ. So two in transition ahead of him. Uh, Sam Adeneron's on his left. Klaus is on his right. AZ puts them in the perfect position where you can, again, freeze frame it because you can see how and when the through ball should be delivered, and it is delivered with pinpoint accuracy, perfectly weighted ball to Klaus to finish between Bond's legs to put St. Louis up 2-0. It was, it was great to see uh, Klaus uh, uh, like making that run. Um, just uh, AC seeing that he had the space and placing the perfect pass, and great finish by Klaus too. Um, that will give him a lot of confidence uh, because being your first start, scoring uh, on the first half, on, on your first shot, uh, I think that will give him a lot of confidence um, for the rest of the season. And he said it during the press conference too. He did, yeah. His quote, uh, Klaus's quote post-game is, yeah, sure, I told Lutz before the game, I have kilos in my head, in my back. And yeah, it's just like for a striker, after these four months out, it was really important for my confidence. You guys know, coming back from injury, my confidence was not the best. And I mean, with this goal today and my performance as well, it is, of course, giving me the confidence for the next games. And that's exactly what you want to hear from Klaus. You don't want this to linger. You don't want the striker's mentality and the, the, the nagging thoughts in the back of his head to linger. This was the perfect, the, the perfect thing that Klaus needed. And in the, in the course of the game flow to be the second goal, it kind of gave a, gave, I think it gave him a little pressure off knowing that we were already up and he was playing a little free-flowing in that position under Sam that he was. But to be able to find the space, and, and it all was started from the AZ generation. I mean, AZ Jackson deserves just about all the credit in the world to make this happen from the box-to-box ability to the, that he showed dispossessing, moving the ball down the field, keeping possession the entire time. It was it was a fantastic move by AZ Jackson. And it wasn't his only big move as just about nine minutes later, there was another big moment for St. Louis. And this is where we talked about we almost went up 3-0. Sam Adeneron gets called offside after a perfectly weighted through ball from AZ Jackson. Well, slightly perfect uh, in the sense yeah. that Sam was just a little bit offside and this was truly offside. There's no argument to be made. I think this was pretty clear and obvious yeah, from the, from the yeah. replay, the, the angle we saw. 
that he was, it was just a bit off. And it was unfortunate because it really was a great pass and a, a, a almost great holdup job by Sam. Great finish from really wide on the left. So seeing the fact that Sam was able to finish the ball from that position was great in and of itself, at least. Yeah, that, that was a very difficult position after going uh, over the goalkeeper and, and winning that 1v1. Um, he didn't have a great angle, but he, he made it happen. So too bad that it didn't count, but it just shows how uh, plugged in Sam is. Like he, he's on a streak and, and it's great to see him uh, on that streak uh, going into the last part of the season. Absolutely. Now halftime happens, and Santi, you asked the question post-game about Bradley Carnell, and this is where we start to get into the conversation of subs, tactical changes. The the Galaxy are down 2 nothing going into half, and so they make one key sub with Mark Delgado, their midfielder, entering the game. And you asked the question post-game, and Bradley Carnell's comment regarding Delgado and his entrance at half was, he just kind of hung out in the half spaces. So, you know, we just had to find new orientation points a new reference point, and I thought for the most part we got a hold of it and a grip on the game again. We spoke about being compact during the game, and I thought for the most part that the boys stuck to the game plan really, really well. What did you make of the lack of tactical adjustments from a personnel perspective that Carnell made knowing Delgado came in and the Galaxy were down 2 nothing? Yeah, and, and I asked that question because obviously 2 nothing. so if you think uh, from Galaxy's standpoint, it was a game they had to win. So Greg Bani probably, and uh, just, I'm just, this is my thoughts. I know we all see the game differently, but he probably thought, okay, I have to uh, put more attackers and uh, I have to at least go for this game. If, if the team, if my team loses this game, probably be out of the playoffs. So what, what did he do? He took out a defensive midfielder, Erwin Cerrillo, and he put Delgado, who is more uh, an offensive player, and Galaxy was attacking with, with more men. And you could see from the beginning, they, they started uh, creating chances, and uh, you could see they had more people attacking. And, and that's, why, that's, why, that's why it prompted my question, because I was interested in knowing if maybe he, he thought about maybe, maybe making a sub. Uh, an option could have been uh, going with that, with that formation that we talk about a lot with five in the back, three center backs, uh, but it didn't happen. And, and yeah, um, you, you said what, what Bradley Carnell said, but, uh, to me, it looked like, um, galaxy had, had more space and, and from there, a lot of events that changed the game, but I think that was the beginning, the onset of all of those events that, uh, galaxy just had more men on, on the attacking end and was um, was able to find more space with Delgado. And they also made an adjustment. Uh, they moved uh, Douglas Costa to the left. Uh, he played on, on the right side. And Tyler the Boyd to half. the right. Yeah, so they, they made that change and it seemed to work for them. It did, and it, it definitely opened up some more opportunities. The midfield change, uh, and the stats back this up, and I have no doubt the team's going to be reviewing this, but uh, Sorio's average position in the first half was in the defensive half, but also more in between the right center back and the right back. And so he's playing a a much more defensive-minded position, not quite center defensive mid, but right alongside um, Uriel Rosal. 
there in the defensive areas, even even further deep back by the the center backs. So to change him out for Delgado, who was playing more of a box to box, higher position near Ricky Pouge a lot, it's it's just a markedly different look. And we didn't get burned on it necessarily uh, early, at least, but that that changes the complexity of the game. And I do think that goes to a lot of what the fan base's comments are today. I mean, knowing what's about to happen that we're going to talk about with going down to 10 men and everything, there is still a conversation about Bradley Carnell's choices of when to make substitutions. And it seems like there's a lot of time where it is in reacting to certain things as opposed to either trying to make the chess move before the opposition gets a chance to do theirs, where you're either calling their bluff, you're th- you're you're assessing what they're about to do, um, you're making a change to go even further on the gas, whatever it ends up being, um, th- there it doesn't appear to be, and this is a, another example of it, that proactive um, change or or trying to dictate the terms of the second half as, a, as opposed to what we saw. And so what we ended up seeing led to the 52nd minute and it was a PK goal, but that's not the story. The story started, the gameplay started with a corner kick from Douglas Costa that goes into Klaus near the goal. Klaus heads it away to Oriel Rosal just outside the box. Rosal shoots, shoots from distance. The ball is blocked by Joachim Nilsson, deflected around a little bit, eventually falling to Tyler Boyd on the right side, like we had just said, change, change of his location. He's on the right side, inside the box. Boyd shoots it, and as we know, the rest is kind of history. Hmm. St. Louis attempts to play it out. They get it out in transition. A yellow card's called on the other side, but it all comes back. Tyler Boyd's shot potentially coming as close as possible to Sam Adeneron's body as as any kind of handball can be, was called a handball in the box upon review. To me, Santi, I see a left arm that is tucked inside his body, and that's, that's key is his left arm is tucked into his body. But as we saw on the replay, the ball did appear to strike his left hand. And what we also know is some pretty, um, I would call it PTSD, from handballs or no handball calls <laughs> over the past couple of weeks yeah. where you can you can go all the way back to Orlando with Anthony Marcanic, but as recently as last week in Sporting Kansas City, Taylor Twelman's twi- a tweet, Twitter had the tweet of the GIFs or the GIFs that go from last week to this week. Yeah. And and it's difficult to to look at both of those things, know that they were called differently and say that those were anywhere near the right call. I would argue that the level of inconsistency that's being reflected here from game to game with these last three matches, especially having various levels of standards held. It's impossible to me to have trust in the process when every match is called differently on such a high profile type of issue being the handballs that you have so much video replay. You have so many different angles, so many eyes, so many cameras on all of these. Now I I can understand the notion and we heard it last night of Overall officiating. I understand the notion that overall officiating um, calls that happen in the course of play, they can be subjective. They're what the ref sees in the moment. Not everything is reviewable. We're not talking about that. We're talking about handballs. The consistency for handballs should be the bare minimum expectation from officiating in MLS, in any other league. And and it's it's not happening. And it's been it's driving multiple game-changing plays over the course of the last few games, it's driving me insane how much we have to keep talking about this, both from both from being on the receiving end of calls and even getting some of these calls. Nothing is consistent to the point where we can say that anything is appropriate. 
Yeah, to me, I don't really know what a handball is anymore after, especially after the last couple of weeks. Uh, like, obviously, that one yesterday was reviewed, but again, uh, as you were saying, uh, it was talked against his body, so I don't know what they were looking at. Uh, but the one that, to me, is more the more most disappointing is the one uh, from last week against Sporting KC, because that one wasn't even reviewed. Like, no, mm -hmm. nobody looked at it. Uh, and that could, could have changed the outcome of the game. But, yeah, it's just uh, too inconsistent from, from game to game and from um, refereeing crew to refereeing crew. Uh, so, hopefully, that's something that will change at some point. Yeah. The other conversation, the other question is, why a yellow card in this instance? So, they called the handball. They called the PK. Best I could understand from looking into it is the card was given as it stopped a promising chance, which is basically a lesser version of Dogzo, denial and obvious goal-scoring opportunity. With the PK being awarded, the ball was going towards goal, and so this stopping a promising chance was basically the PK plus the yellow is sufficient of a call as opposed to a straight red that you always see for denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity. The goal was scored on the PK by Ricky Pouge, and... At that point, it's 2-1. You're not feeling too bad. You're feeling frustrated, very frustrated at the refs, very frustrated at the call and the, the lack of consistency overall. But you're still feeling good about St. Louis's opportunities here, at least I was. Um, we, we had reached the point where we had gotten to the 2-1 scoreline that I had predicted, so I, I was feeling <laughs> you were all happy. right about it. I was not necessarily happy, but I was feeling all right about it. Eight minutes later, everything just fell off the rails. Sam Adeneron gets a red card at the 60th minute. My knee-jerk reaction in the moment is complete blame on the previous card and the previous PK controversy. It played way more factor than in this game than we ever expected it to, than it ever should have. But after the fact, you, you get a couple minutes to start to think about, all right, what about this play in and of itself? And Santi, I was disappointed in Sam Adeneron. I felt that he was played by Ricky Pooge. He let his his um, his excitement in the moment get the better of him, I guess you could say, because the ball's been controlled by Ricky Pooge in this play pretty pretty well. Pooge has yeah. complete control of the ball in their defensive midfield. He he's marked by a Deneron, and Pooge takes the ball, basically runs a little circle around it himself to his left, and then beats Sam towards the middle with the ball. As Pooge is getting past Sam, Sam attempts to tackle on him with space between the two sam catches nothing but leg that i saw and yeah. when pooch goes down with that you can't argue that that play in and of itself isn't deserving of a yellow right yeah that's that's a yellow for sure and and yeah you can you can say oh yeah sam should have not done that but uh, i always give the players the the benefit it's a game of milliseconds and mm -hmm. and maybe he thought he could get to it uh, but at the same time it was uh, at a spot of the field where maybe it was not necessary, but it, it's just uh, it just goes so quickly, and and you have to make a decision. And he he tried to get the ball, and he didn't get it. Um, so yeah, maybe um, if he didn't have that yellow, maybe he could have been more aggressive. But uh, maybe he wasn't thinking about it. It's hard. It's hard to tell. But uh, but yeah, it ended up changing the outcome of the game. Yeah, you mentioned at halftime the lack of subs on the St. Louis side, the lack of tactical adjustments, I think it was pretty prevalent at this point. And I pointed to the fact that the scoreline didn't say we had a big problem with this. Post-game, I made, I made the comment that 
we didn't make a lot of subs after this and we didn't change tactically our approach in how we were setting up and lining up. And it didn't really bite us at the moment, but after after the red card, this is when subs really start to start to appear for the Galaxy especially. And we see a change of game flow um, very overt. The Galaxy at this point increased their possession numbers to over 80% from this point on. The Galaxy bring on Diego Fagundes and Billy Sharp at 68 minutes, just eight minutes after this for attacking reinforcements. And then at 71 minutes, we make a, what I believe is a scheduled substitution of Nico Joachini for Joao Klaus. Yeah. Um, then after that, it's not until 78 minutes, 18 minutes after the red card, 18 minutes after we go down a player, that Carnell makes these more wholesale substitutions. He brings on uh, Josh Yarrow, Kyle Hebert, and Nukvi Thorson in for Edu Leuven, Joachim Nilsson, and AZ Jackson. Now, I, I have a, I have, I struggle to figure out if it was just changing up the defensive personnel or if there were other factors at play here. I get AZ leaving because he's obviously more attacking minded and you want to give the defensive help because we did drop back into five at the back after that. I I can see Leuven coming out maybe because he's just been doing so much running in the midfield mm-hmm. and he, he truly played the box to box role and he had been all over the field. You need fresh legs to, to withstand this last 12 minutes of an onslaught. But Joachim Nilsson is the one that worries me. And we saw him go down with an apparent groin injury um, he, he appeared to make the, the, at least lip that he was okay to go, uh, when he stood up, he's like, I, th- I think I saw I'm okay to go. I just need help standing up or something like that. Mm-hmm. He got up, but then he was subbed out. And I believe Carnell said after the game, quote, we hope it's not a setback. We just hope it's precautionary move. We'll just have to see with that. So do you have any other thoughts on Nielsen or just this sub window in particular? Because this is really where things start to shift for pretty consistent or considerably to the five at the back, to the defensive mindedness, that 80 plus percent possession for the galaxy starts to overbear. And, and you now lose Eddie Leuven, Joachim Nilsson and AZ Jackson. Yeah. So seeing, um, seeing Joachim Nilsson uh, on the ground and, and touching his groin, uh, it, it just brought flashbacks uh, from when uh, Jabulo Blom got injured against Seattle Sounders. So I hope he's okay. Hopefully it is, uh, as Carnell is saying, more precautionary, uh, which in these cases, I think I think that it's good. Uh, even though he, he was uh, signaling that he could still go, I think Carnell and his uh, coaching staff did the right thing uh, by not risking him. And um, finally, uh, with those subs, we got to see uh, that five in the back. and. Um, Galaxy had less space uh, on the sides and they had to try to go more through uh, the middle. So it changed a little bit the look, but um, in the end, um, Galaxy ended up finding uh, the the goal on a set piece. And that's the frustrating thing to me is that we we talked about all of the the different things that play into this, the from the PK, the cards, the the th- the second Galaxy goal being a. a set piece goal, um, which did occur from a free kick that was taken by Diego Fagundes, 82 minutes. There were seven city players on the line in the box. Uh, the free kick went to the far post. It was an obvious pass over the top of a leaping Nico Joachini to get to Billy Sharp, who was behind everyone. Uh, at the very end of the, of the city line, it was Akil Watts marking Mayo Yoshida, who was higher in the box and he stayed higher purposefully. Um, 
it was unfortunate on replay in that. So before looking at the half as a whole real quick, it was unfortunate on that because you can see this being designed the entire time. You can see Billy Sharp positioning himself kind of like taking a step back, hoping nobody sees him being sneaky. That's, that's what it looked like to me because once he gets to a certain point and Fagundes sends the ball up, he just makes a beeline for that back post with nobody near him. And so at that point it was trusting Fagundes to get the ball to a point where he could reach it. And unfortunately he did that very well. It was a perfectly placed ball uh, by Fagundes. Sharp had a ton of space behind and Nico Joachini, who had been right inside of Akil Watts as he, as he fades back, couldn't quite get his head up there to knock it away. And that was very, it was really unfortunate because the larger story in this half is that St. Louis had some, some mistakes made causing them to go down a man. And then we can talk all we want about the substitutions, the tactics. If we put ourselves in a good position for X, Y, and Z at the end of the day, we went this entire half without allowing an open play goal. Like that can't go, I can't go overlooked is the fact that regardless, like however you want to judge Carnell's approach, you want to say it's good or bad, or this would have been better if, we had made subs earlier or differently, or you, you hope Nielsen doesn't go down. All things considered, we, we, we held our own in open play, something FC Dallas did not do when they went down a man. And so that, to me, has to be appreciated just as much as the set-piece goal allowed has to be disappointing. Yeah, yeah, it's disappointing, and I'm sure uh, this will be looked at uh, this week, and the team will probably be working extra on this uh, but back to the goal uh it was uh yeah basically when when you get a goal where there is a set piece and there are two headers um happening during the play uh most of the times that ends up being a goal uh but uh and and i may be wrong matt but i think it was uh uh uri russell who uh had the first header and then uh, it went to a uh, to Billy Sharp, I had to look at the replay mm. a, a few times, but uh, it was uh, it was, and it wasn't two headers. It was one header to uh, to put the ball uh, where Billy Sharp was, and then he he pushed it with his right foot, I believe. But it's still uh, yeah, yeah. a prepared a set piece um, that uh, you can see from the replay that uh, it was a design play, and and they found a space, and and Billy Russell just. Um, was there at the right place after um, Yuri Russell uh, had that header? Yeah, I'm, wa- I'm watching the replay over here, and yo, yeah, you're. It was, yeah, a, a straight header in on that back goal, and it, yeah, that it was frustrating because of the spacing that occurred, and yeah. and when Russell, I mean, you have to be better aware of what's going on. And it kind of makes everything else a moot point. Like it makes the open play issues moot. It makes, uh, you know, it just makes everything else seem like it's more lackluster. And and that's my takeaway is we had a very sound defensively minded second half regardless. Uh, and and this, this will give us more opportunities to know from our best 11 to start, from defending set pieces to to what to do if you go down a man because that's a unique position that we haven't really been into and could present itself uh in these last few games into the playoffs now we've experienced it we have something else to go off of and so all these different experiences while still gathering a point on the road can't go um over underappreciated too i mean these are opportunities that a, a young inexperienced team in these scenarios now have under their belt and that that's good going into the last stretch of games 
where we are still well positioned here. And some of the fun facts going out of this match, I think, are that we do remain in first place. That's that's obviously number one. Um, we do have a league-leading 55 goals under our belt now. We're still scoring goals at a pretty good clip. Sam and Deneron, who we will not have available against the Houston Dynamo, unfortunately, scored his seventh MLS goal in eight starts. So of those seven goals, four have been uh, the opener in a match. This is a player who... He's, he's not just doing what you want him to do from a striker position, but he's putting you in positions to continue to improve upon your, um, your unbeaten types of record when, you're, when you score first. I think we have one loss of the entire season when we score first, and a lot of those can be attributed now to Sam Adeneron in this recent run of form. Joao Klaus scores for the first time uh, since uh, March 25th with his first wow. start since April 8th. Klaus now has 10 goal contributions, six goals and four assists and 10 goal contributions after missing about four months. That's it's pretty, crazy. It's pretty remarkable. The level of quality Klaus is able to, to maintain uh, whenever he's on the field. And then AZ Jackson, third assist of the season. I feel like when you only say AZ Jackson records his third assist of the season, it definitely goes, uh, it underappreciates all of the things that went into those, those things that he did, those pieces of work to his, his credit. And if there's, if there's one thing that I think City fans can all rally around, it's AZ Jackson and his style of play. He's always putting himself in good positions. He's quick with the ball. He's he's dynamic. He's exciting to watch for good or bad at times, but he's exciting to watch. And when you have players like Sam and Klaus and Nico Joachini to receive the ball from him, it's, it's an exciting style of play. Definitely exciting. Uh, I say to our listeners, enjoy it. For the rest of the season, I think he won't be with the team uh, next year. I, I think there is a lot of interest and there have been rumors. So uh, maybe he will stay until the summer window. But but yeah, I don't think by the end of 2024, uh, AC Jackson will be with City. We're not going to end on that note. I'll tell you that, Santi. We, we're going we're gonna to end this on a good note because that's oh, yeah, not something sure. fans want to hear yet. Now... The AZ Jackson rumors have been there for a reason. He's definitely one of the players that is being scouted heavily. And Bradley Carnell actually alluded to that uh, last week, I think it was, in his press conference about there's a reason that a lot of our guys are garnering attention from some of these other clubs and, and even on a national team level, directly alluding to a guy like AZ Jackson. But we do need to enjoy him while he's here. He has cemented himself, in my eyes, as our number 10. Yeah. And that that's his spot to lose. And so... I don't know if you want to put him in pen alongside the other six guys that we mentioned earlier, but he's a guy that when you're putting together rosters for the next few games and you're putting your ideal 11 out there, it's AZ Jackson at the 10. Yeah, and when you go back to the beginning of the season that he wasn't getting out of time, he was playing with CD2, and just to see how uh, he has developed and has become basically somebody who who it's uh who has to be on the starting 11 every time yeah. he's healthy has been great to see how he has evolved as a player uh so Matt, we have uh, quite a few comments on on the chat i didn't know if you wanted to to put a couple or, or say anything about those yeah uh there's one there's we've we've been able to get to a few of them as they've kind of come in but um eric Eric Holliker and Chris Gebhardt have been really good with the, the questions and comments. One of them is, do you, th do you think the mass subs in the second half was a good idea? I like this because it kind of gets to the heart of what we were talking about um, with the different ideas of what to do. 
um, like the PT for our boys, but it seems too dramatic. Edu should have stayed on the field for me. Praying Nielsen will be okay too. This this is a very specific scenario, and I, I wanted to bring this up because it it is a it's it's a particular approach that Carnell has employed a few times, where either all at once in one minute, or over the course of um, five minutes or so, it's it seems like quick changes are made mm-hmm. after about I want to say seventy minutes or so. Yeah, we we make no beef about using all of our subs. Carnell consistently uses all five available subs, which is great, but. There are there are pros and cons to making wholesale subs like this. I would I would hope that a reason for this particular one is out of necessity with Joachim Nielsen coming out too. I don't know the reason that we took Edu Leuven out beyond possible fitness and um, seeing what he did earlier in the game. That that was an interesting one because Leuven is a player who doesn't a doesn't usually come out and uh, b you could see his value the rest of the game. Uh, of all the players on the field who have run and spent all those minutes on there. Leuven is a guy that you would have pegged as good to go for the rest of the way. I think that if you're going to make a wholesale sub change like this, um, then the players have to be bought into what their responsibilities are going to be. And also, if they're changing responsibilities for those on the field, then everybody has to be on the same page. If one single person is not uh, is not ready to go with where an assignment is going to be or the fact that they use this as an opportunity to completely change formations, to drop back a little deeper into more of a low block. This is probably the only time we've seen St. Louis City in true low block all year. Um, then everybody has to be aware because otherwise you're leaving spaces. We saw it at times on the left side, I think, where Anthony Marcanic would fold in a little too much for my liking into the channel on the left and Kyle Hebert was right underneath of him and so there were little times that it was kind of dicey, but nothing ever came of it. And, and that's the big concern for me is, is making um, three changes at one time and you're really forcing a massive shift in responsibilities for everybody. And can the team respond to that without skipping a beat? Yeah, I, I think also the way um, the game went, red card and, and you're down a man and um, and being box box to box, uh, doing more running. I I think it was more to have fresh legs uh, mm-hmm. for for the last part of the game. Uh, but you're right. If if everybody's not connected and uh, you don't have that cohesion, you could the other team can take advantage of those uh, multiple subs and um, just find a space. But uh, I I don't think that happened. But I think it was more uh, the game situation and uh, having tired legs. Sante, I want to hear your thoughts on this last question here that we'll get to for the pod. It's from Chris Gebhardt. It seemed like Edu had far less to do with Blome as the defending mid and AZ in more of an attacking role. Think they think they need to make sure he's still getting opportunities to distribute as they build out. Yeah, that's a, that's a good thought. He, his distribution is is always great, and uh, he has gotten a, a lot of assists this year. Uh, and part of it is also. Um, the formation um and yeah yesterday yesterday he was more on a defensive role but yeah you have to look for those opportunities for him to to get involved uh obviously ac is now the 10 um but um but having edu as an offensive player um it's also a great asset for the team this is another one where the stats back up the observation and i mentioned the quantity of passes earlier with blome 32 Leuven 28, AZ 25, you're used to seeing Edu Leuven touch the ball and pass the ball a considerable amount more 
than anybody else on the field. He's usually the driver of everything, whether it's in in a box to box role or as a, a dual pivot. Um, or even as a 10 that he's played, he's usually who the ball goes through um, when it's transitioning between lines. And it it is an interesting thing to watch out for is with Blom cemented as the six, with AZ cemented at the 10, theoretically, that frees up Leuven to be that box-to-box and carry the ball a little bit more. For instance, the first goal that we had that, it, that started with Leuven carrying the ball a decent amount and being able to find um, a, a hole that didn't exist there. It's those opportunities to where I wonder if Leuven's total touches might go down, but his impact to the game might be in mm-hmm. some of those key moments. Mm-hmm. We didn't really get to see much out of the free kicks from him or the set pieces, so that's another aspect that just didn't present itself in this game for Leuven, but I, I'm not concerned with him in the slightest. I'm just I'm in, interested to see if that becomes a little bit more of a trend in how we progress the ball with this um, so-called optimal spine that exists for our team now. Yeah, yeah, and um, a few more games in the regular season to uh, to look at that and and to um, to experiment with different formations. But um, but yeah, uh, I also saw a comment that Lewin uh, wasn't pleased to uh, be sub. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I, I noticed that too. He he didn't like it, but um, I don't know. I don't know what what to do at that point if it does the. Uh, coach's decision and you want a fresh legs at that point but that's Leuven right that's that's a a typical Leuven response and so it tells me a he's not hurt which is always a concern when a player of that caliber is taken out at that point just look at Joachim Nilsson so I'm happy that he's upset I'm not happy necessarily that he was subbed off so don't get me wrong on that but the fact that he was upset that's typical Leuven competitiveness that we want to see the fire in that so whether it was a tactical change, something Carnell saw, a matchup, whatever it might be, I don't think we we should look for Leuven to be taken off like that similarly in games going forward. But the fact that he left without an injury, he still got the fire. I, I'm okay with that. I he in, in knowing that our game plan was going trending defensively, you know, there there's not a whole lot of offensive um, uh, looks that we had in the second half. It really had no focus on that minus an opportunity there at the very, very end, the dying moments where the ref gave us one last chance mm-hmm. to produce and we we couldn't find net. Beyond that, it was all defensive-minded. And so I think this is a, a good point to kind of start to turn the page, move past this. We'll take the things that we've discussed and learn from them. Anything else you want to touch on with this game, Santi? No, no. Uh, the positive is that um, the team ended that... Um, winless streak on the road um well not not my bad no winless but uh, a streak of losing uh, yes away games uh, it had lost uh, the previous three four if you count uh, the league's cup game so um it's good to see that uh, at least the team rescued a point mm-hmm. imagine going to houston uh, with two losses in 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 the first two games of this away streak uh, now you go to Houston, who is another team that it's up there on the table and um, is going to feel like a, like a playoff game. But getting a point, considering the situation, um, I think um, is good. I'll, I'll take the point any day. And we can put the Galaxy to rest now because they remain in 13th place. They have 30 points on 26 matches, 7, 10, and 9 record now. They're, if, if they make the playoffs, then kudos to them, but we're done with them. 
St. Louis City, we're going to turn the page. We maintain our stranglehold on first place in the West with 48 points through 28 matches, 15-10-3 record. We we no longer tie Montreal for the fewest draws in the league. Now we're second mm. to last in number of draws. We still have our league leading plus 18 goal differential. We move to 5-7-2 and two away. And before we go, I do want to have a quick moment on this away form because the other piece that seems like the city fandom has talked about is our overall form away probably highlighted by the point you just made of our lack of wins, our lack of results, especially recently on the road. But I do want to give some context because context is key on a lot of these things, especially knowing that we're fighting for home field advantage. Now, Edu Leuven pointed it out last week that city has their eye on that prize in the MLS Western conference. Real Salt Lake is the only team with a winning record on the road. There's only two other teams that are even tied in their win-loss record. So have even win-loss. Seattle has a five and five record, and Minnesota has a six and six record. So five, five, and three, six, six, and two away. Keep these things in mind when it comes to how good or bad our overall St. Louis team is on the road. It's it, it is can it can be looked at as a microcosm of the team itself and what we need to do to separate ourselves from the pack and be a better team than all of these that we're comparing ourselves to. But it also shows just how difficult it is. It reinforces what we say regularly, how difficult it is for an MLS team to win Mm -hmm. on the road. But it also underscores how incredibly valuable a top four position is in this conference. Going into that first round, these revamped playoffs that are going to exist, it's going to be in and of itself a very hot topic because it's now a best of three in MLS. You have a series and it goes home away home. So if you're able to get home field advantage in that first round, massive advantage overall and with the performances cities had at home i think this is this is the big takeaway it's not necessarily that city is only i think five seven and two away it's that city is third or fourth fourth or fifth best in the conference as far as their away record goes and if we can step up and maintain a top four get home field as long as we can that will make all the difference that would be huge and and that's the next goal even though Mathematically, the team is still not in playoffs. I think we all know that there will be playoffs. Uh, and yeah, getting that top four, even if it is top two, will be uh, even better uh, because if you advance uh, to the semifinals, then it's just one game. And and if you have a, if if you end up if you ended up high on the table, you will host. So mm-hmm. so yeah, I think that's the next goal for. For the team and this point uh, that got that it got yesterday against Galaxy may be valuable at the end of the year. And we're going to shift our focus to the Houston Dynamo. So that's it for us on Flyover Fallout. Thanks for joining us. We're going to be back in a few days to preview our usual spot. Thursday night we'll have our stream going. Friday we'll have the pod out. The preview of Houston Dynamo. Houston is 11-10-6 with a 9-2-2 record at home. So It's going to be an interesting matchup. It's going to be exciting. We'll preview it all. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for joining us if you watch the live stream, if you're listening to the pod, however you're getting us. We really appreciate it. Santi, have a great week, and we'll talk to everybody later. See you, man. Vamos, City.